Hey, what's up, everyone? This is the Coach You Podcast, and I'm your host, Coach You. This podcast is about being curious, learning from others, and using what we've learned to evolve every single day. I'm going to bring you conversations with professional coaches, top trainers, psychology professionals, and many more. These conversations are going to be filled with personal stories and vulnerable moments and mistakes and failures that my guests have been through. Learn how they dealt with fear, failure, and adversity. And you might realize that we are all going through the same thing in our own way. On today's podcast, I'm interviewing Donnie Mabe, who is the head coach for Olympic sports and athletic performance at the University of Texas. I met Donnie at a conference in 2019, and I... uh, I, I just loved his energy. When I first met him, he just was such a nice person and was polite. And, it, uh, you know, I live in Los Angeles and sometimes, you know, stress can get on people and it's not always the lightest town necessarily. Um, I think big cities are like that. But, it, you know, the politeness and just how kind he was um, uh, just made me want to be able to talk to him some more. And Donnie's gracious enough to join us today. Uh, to talk about what he's seen in his own growth and through his failures. And we're going to talk about his journey. And um, Donnie's going to tell some great stories. He reads a lot of books, so he has a lot of great quotes. And he's just such a kind person. And he wants to help other people grow and learn. And that's why he does what he does as a coach. That's why he is able to make connections with people. Um, And so I'm hoping that he gives you a different perspective uh, on human connection and being able to know who you are and know what you want. And that's what he has done in his journey. And he's going to share that with you today. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and then share with friends and family who would also appreciate conversations like this. I hope my guests bring you some different perspective and help you on that journey to finding who you are. And with all that said, let's hop into the conversation with Donnie Mabe. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Coach You Podcast. I want to welcome in Donnie Mabe. He's the head coach for Olympic Sports of Athletic Performance for the University of Texas. Donnie, thank you so much for joining us today. Coach John, it is a pleasure to be here and good to see your your smiling face and and, uh, all is well, man. Um, What a crazy time we're in right now, right? This this quarantine and we're recording this during the uh, the, uh, stay in home shelter and uh, or shelter in place. And how, how are you doing with everything? You know, not too bad. I, I will be honest. The first week was pretty tough. You know, uh, as you know, and anybody listening, if you're uh, any kind of professional that's, that's fit, you know, you know, you're in a physical culture, you're used to moving around, interacting with people. Uh, your day may be very spontaneous and different every day, may look like a new routine. And so the first week I did, I struggled the first week pretty bad. And, and it just took me a little while to figure out, okay, I need to get just like I do for my athletes, now I need to plan and kind of organize my day just like you would a workout planning. So that's kind of what has been helping me. But it was tough at first, for sure. And so I'm, I'm kind of figuring out a little bit as we go. Yeah, it's what a, what a wild time. I think everyone's kind of making the adjustments on the fly. And um, it's just, it's fun to see the creativity. I've seen a lot of people just be very creative during this time. So I'm excited. I'm excited to keep that creativity going with you here. Um, That's right. So I want you to tell the folks, anyone listening right now, just a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, and then how you got into coaching. Yeah, would love to. I so I grew up in the uh, state of Tennessee, so I'm a country boy, my heart. So if you hear the nice twang, that's that's where it came, the the good Tennessee roots. And really, growing up, 
um, from an early start, I was involved in sports. I think I played baseball at first and played a little bit of football and ended up uh, playing football and all the way through middle school, broke my leg, bowed to quit. My dad made me play one more year. He told me that, you know, once you fall off the horse, you have to get back on. I was so mad. Played one more year. Fall, fell back in love with it. Got MVP on defense and uh, ended up going to high school and keep, I kept playing. And that, uh, you know, just got, that's really the, the, my love and passion for the weight rooms happened in high school. And that led to me getting a full scholarship at the University of Georgia. Uh, in 1988. So I tell that story a little bit because, you know, sometimes we go in our, in our career path, we all go through what I call those crucible moments where, man, it's just dark, it's hard. Um, it's like a hot coal, it's a furnace. And that's my dad made me play one more year. I, I, I wouldn't even look or speak it to him for a while. And, but then now looking back, I'm so glad he you know, he made me kind of not give up and quit just because of a bad experience, you know. And so anyway, I went to Georgia and ended up playing defensive line there and uh, started for three seasons. Again, same kind of thing in, in college. Um, well, a little bit about college, I, it, it kind of leads to what I do today. I got into lifting really even more in college and got into really bodybuilding and powerlifting. I got huge, got up to about 270, 275, was strong as an ox and just, but my performance started going down on the field and I couldn't figure it out. And so I ended up running into a guy, my dad had actually, he's got, this guy's name was uh, Doc Crease, uh, EJ Doc Crease, if anybody in the world knows him, he used to work out at UCLA. Um, and uh, he's retired now, and, and but he ended up, being a guy my dad connected with, he was working at Middle Tennessee State at the time. And I went back that summer and trained with him and started doing all this kind of uh, Eastern Bloc, uh, Bulgarian type methods of training, speed strength, like snatch, clean, these all these Olympic movements, which at the time were really not many schools, if any, were doing it. And come back to school my junior year and just my body fat was under 10%. My 40 was so much quicker. My performance went through the roof. And it opened, that was the first time as, a, as, a, as an athlete that just I saw the value of and kind of peeled back that layer of, man, it, it really matters how you train. And so I kind of caught the bug, so to speak. And then anyway, I blew my knee out my senior year. And my dreams were dashed of trying to go pro and play NFL. And it's funny how how life works sometimes, John, like I'd done such a good job working with Doc that summer. He told me one day, just in like weird brief conversation goes, hey, if you ever want to be a strength coach, you'd be, I think you'd be a good one. Just let me know. And I was like, I'm going to NFL. I don't want to, I don't want to coach and be working all these hours. And so when I hurt my knee and I had to like, man, now I got to figure out like, what am I going to do for a living? And I remember that conversation. And so I connect, reconnected with him and ended up going out to the University of Colorado and, as an intern. And that was 1994. I did everything, John. I ran errands. I scraped boogers off the floor, right? I painted bumpers, hung signs. Uh, you name it, I, I was the gopher. I, I didn't coach a lot or write programs, but I just, 
I just kind of found my way to, to fit in and went from a intern to part-time there, part-time to full-time. That was about a four-year span. And then 1998 had an opportunity to come to the University of Texas and work with uh, Jeff uh, Mad Dog Madden and again took that opportunity and ran with it and haven't looked back. I went from 98 to 2010. I kind of worked my way up with football there with Coach Brown and, and Coach Madden to top assistant. And in 2010, we had a real tough year in football at Texas. And they, they created a director of Olympic sport position, which did not exist at the time. And they offered it to me and I took it and uh, haven't looked back since. It's been an amazing journey. I've done things I never dreamt I would ever do. I've been through challenges I never even could imagine or fathom. It's taught me so many lessons. And, you know, currently this is my 25th year. And, you know, just still, I still, this is kind of my, the way I look at it today is the older I do this or the longer I do it, the older I get, the more I realize I have to learn. And just what an expansive world of knowledge and uh, just amazing individuals like yourself that you get to meet and learn from and connect with. It just makes the job amazing. So I'm very blessed and fortunate to be at Texas, to be with our staff and have an administration that supports us. That's fantastic. And I can only imagine the growth that you've seen during that time. And, and in that, like you were talking about all the experiences that you went through uh, as, as the intern who was scraping boogers down yeah. to now you're the, you're, you're the director of sports performance. Uh, what, what was the biggest shift for you in terms of your mentality uh, from coaching up into being a sports director? Yeah, I mean, I think at some point along the, your career path, you got to change the way you think about your job. And what I mean by that is, I kind of like to use the analogy of there's a difference between renting and owning. And when you rent something, right, and you think, well, this, I don't own this. This is not my car. This is not my house. This is not my hotel. I don't own this, this shirt. And you're just borrowing it. You treat it differently, right? And I think it was somewhere in my early parts of Texas, I started, th I started realizing that maybe one day I would be a director, that there's a shot, at least I'm gonna try, I'm gonna shoot for it. And so I just started changing. I was like, you know what, before that moment, I would like, I wouldn't always do everything exactly, you know, with excellence or maybe not follow through with stuff. Cause I'm like, oh, this is, this is not my program. You know, this is so-and-so's program. And, and I, so I finally stepped back and was like, wait a minute, this is, what if you were an assistant as, as a director, you were the assistant you hired as a director, would you keep them? And I was like, I had to have kind of a, kind of one of those reflective moments, like, no, I'm not doing a job, you know? And so I started working uh, the way I was like, you know, I need to start working and be the assistant that I would want to hire and that I would want to, you know, and so I need to be the assistant for my boss and, the other teams that I'm working with that, that uh, they would want to hire themselves. And so it just changed my perspective and mindset. And you start, you start putting a lot more emotional blood, sweat, and tears into it. And you start taking a different level of pride on it when you own it versus if you just, if you're just renting or just borrowing it. So when you say own it, what does that mean to you? I mean, I think it's, I think it's a simple, it's um, always, you know, people, we always talk, people love talking about leadership. And so I think what I'm, what I mean by own it is ultimately it's stewardship. 
And I think it's simple. Um, whatever opportunity, whatever uh, position, whether it's voluntary, part-time, shadow, externship, you put whatever label on it. If you don't steward that well, you'll lose it. And so it's all in how we view the opportunities we've been given. If you think, oh man, this is a small school, this job ain't gonna lead to nothing, guess what? It never will. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is by Miles Monroe. And he says, he says this, um, the death, the death of a seed is the burial of a forest. And so I think that, you know, opportunities are like small little seeds we get. They're insignificant. Sometimes they're ugly. Um, they seem like, oh, that's so small. That, that's not going to lead to nothing. But coach, you know this. I mean, I've seen so many people get opportunities and turn that into these huge positions of influence and great jobs. It's all because they, you know, they took something small and just and made it into this job. And I, I the other thing I always, it's more about when you do this, it's more about your disposition than it is your position. And so I think that's a big piece of kind of when I talk about owning it. I love that. No, I, I can't agree more. And you're talking about those small opportunities, but really being able to try your hardest and taking what you have and being appreciative of what you have in that opportunity and making it the best you possibly can, which I think, I mean, I, I definitely was guilty of doing that uh, in my business. When I first started, uh, I was just like, yeah, I'm training. It's fine. I have my own business. This is nice. And then over time, I took more pride in it and thinking like, no, like this is my business. I'm now creating this. And you're right. It's, it's amazing what happens when you take that opportunity and you really give that yeah. effort and, and appreciate what that opportunity could be if you decide to take on that opportunity. And I'll, let me say one thing about owning it. It also means that those you work with, you own your relationship with them and you want to, you want to take, you want to help people around you. It's not because I think you can do that and, and start climbing this kind of this ladder, so to speak, and you can step on people. And so I think there's the way you go about that too is, is a big piece, you know. So it's kind of self-serving or self, it's the self-serving leadership or servant leadership stuff that, that people always talk about. So how do you own relationships with those that you work with? I mean, I think when you, so I think when you, when you own relationships and let's say, let's say you've got goals, right? And as you pursue those goals, you don't need to apologize for it, but the, the way you go about accomplishing goals will say a lot about your motives. It will say a lot about what level of integrity you have and also what level of character you have. And you don't need to apologize for wanting to be great, but don't step on people or run, don't run people down. Don't manipulate, deceive, or I, I like to call it, you just, you use people. You know, you see people as, you don't see people as assets, right? Um, you see people as expenses, like you can just use them for whatever you want to get what you want and move up and then you're gonna, you're done with them. Uh, I always like to say you, if you wanna see how people really are, watch how they treat others who can do nothing for them. That's a true mark of, what kind of leader they are, what kind of person they are, and if they really care. 
Yeah. And it's about the care. I think it, like, that's something I've gone through and realized that the more that I care about whoever it is I'm having a conversation with, the more that I'm able to take them in, the more that I'm actually able to be reciprocal with the relationship, no matter who they are, like you're talking about, it's, it's, it's been fulfilling for me. And mm-hmm. I've also seen actual relationships grow and connections have grown and bonds have grown naturally because you're naturally being there for the other person and seeing the other person. So yeah, and the danger of that too, sometimes we got to watch it. And this is, I've had to learn this the hard way is that people can take advantage of you. Absolutely. And you, you so in, in saying all that, you can't be spineless. Uh, you can't just give, give, give. There's got to be boundaries. Uh, you've got to be firm sometimes and you got to have really kind of uncomfortable conversations as you go. And, and that's just part of the process, but you can't, the way I always like to say it is like, the, they call it the PC combination with, with, with business, like the passion, compassion. So like if you have somebody who's all passion and they're not compassionate, they're a tyrant, they're dominating, they're, 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 they're gonna make stuff happen, but their, their leadership is oppressive um, and they just don't care how you feel and, and it works. So I'm not going to say it doesn't work. It's, you can get some success with that. You can but on the other thing. If you have somebody who's just compassionate and they don't have the passion, now they become maybe a little bit of a pushover, right? Oh, they, they're more in the touchy and feely side of things. And, and maybe they don't pursue goals as, as hard or as they, they're not as driven because they've made it more about the compassion piece and they can come off as soft, mm-hmm. weak mentally. Right. And so do you, which one do you pick? Well, it's really a combination of having passion and then leading with empathy. And I don't like to talk about leading with like uh, pity. I think empathy is different because empathy says, hey, I'm, I can relate to you and understand what you're going through. I still expect you to perform, but I'm gonna have some empathy on you because I, I can relate to that because I've been through it, so. I love that. And and so glad you said the word empathy, because I think the, the moment that I started having empathy for others was life changing for me in how I was able to speak to people, talk, you know, yeah. just have conversations. Um, yeah, that's I think that's amazing. I, I love that. And as a coach, you see that all the time. And uh, you have you've trained tens of thousands of athletes. So how do you carry that into coaching the athletes and making those relationships with each one? Well, I think, uh, I think at the end of the day, you've got to just be your, you got to be authentic. I think the, you know, it's been a lot of negativity on the generate, the younger generation. Um, and lot, there's tons of articles and books all coming out on it. And, and I'll say this about them. I think, you know, I want to, I think that they're uh, an amazing and bright group of young leaders we've got coming up. I really do. I think they're going to have, different challenges than we did growing up. I think that's every generation. Every generation has its strengths and weaknesses and they're, they're no different than my generation. It's not good or bad, it's just different, right? And so I think the one thing I've noticed about uh, this young generation of kids is that they, they know if you're real or not. Um, they don't have a ton of social uh, interaction, as, well, not as much as like face-to-face it's more virtual like this right over text or videos and 
But when man, when I, I know this, when they see somebody who's real and authentic, they can they can call it out. And um, so I think the biggest thing you got to do is just, you got to be real. If you're going to lead kids today, you got to be, don't try to be somebody else. Um, I know I tried that early in my career. I tried to be like this coach or that coach. And I tried to be hard and commanding and, you know, and not, not that I can't do some of that, but that just wasn't my style. And kids didn't like it. It didn't get a lot of traction. So I think you need to be, uh, know that these kids, they, have, they, they can spot a, a fake in a minute. So you need to be sincere and authentic in who you are. And what I mean by this, what, what's your core values? What do you believe in? Not what he believes in. And so I think if, for any young listeners on this, it takes a while to figure that out. You don't know that at first. And so you learn that through failure, trying different things, uh, stepping out, you know, sinking in the water, so to speak, um, climbing up that mountain. No, that's not the mountain I wanted to climb up. You know, there's so much to be gleaned and learned from your failures, disappointments, heartbreaks, frustrations, that you figure out who you are, what you believe in, your core values. And now that core value system of who you are internally becomes almost like a magnet of who you will attract and kind of work with. And so I think that's, and then once you do that, you have, then you start to develop the art of coaching where you know who you are now. Here's my toolkit. Now, how do I put these together to reach this athlete? And then if I can't reach them, now maybe I pull in this person or this person to help me get a higher level uh, return. And so that's part of just, you know, learning humility of when you don't know how to do something or you can't, you maybe somebody can do it better. Uh, you can pull somebody in. So I think the core values is going to be a big piece, figuring out who you are. And then once you, you learn that and um, kids will be more, uh, They'll connect with you a lot easier. Um, they'll listen and buy into you first, right? Because we all are selling something. But if they can't, if they can't buy you first, they're not going to buy your, you know, your widget or whatever it is you're selling, <laughs> right? So you got to learn how to sell yourself and, and connect and relate to people. And I mean, you know, I think early on, I, I really you struggle. I struggle with with people who. Um, I just didn't understand what kind of background I came from. Maybe it was a growing up without, without a father. I didn't, I had trouble understanding that because my dad was there for me for the most part. And, or maybe they grew up with not as many resources. Um, you know, maybe they were, maybe their grandmother or their aunt raised them. And I just, I don't know. I, I can't relate to that, that kind of, and so it had, to, it took me a while to go, wait a minute, the way I'm trying to coach these kids is not working and I need to adjust I'm trying to reach them. So I love that. And you were talking about bad experiences and it takes time. And yeah. um, you were talking about how you had to deal with some injuries and things um, early on in your playing career. Um, it was, was there a moment or were there just a bunch of moments where this started to develop and you just had all these experiences and you started to learn how to be more resilient uh, against those like bad experiences? Because I think a lot of times when people fail or, um, uh, don't have things go their way. It's, it can be handled in a way that doesn't, it could be detrimental to what they want. So what, what process or what, uh, what do you do in the bad experience and the failures and like, how do you respond? How do you rebound from that? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I think, you know, no matter who you are, we're all going to hit the wall at some point, you're going to hit it. And some of us hit it 200 miles per hour. Some of us hit it 30. 
Either way, you hit the wall. It doesn't feel good. It hurts. It stops you dead in your tracks. You're flat on your back. I remember when I blew my knee in college, uh, my dreams were crushed. And I knew it. And my career was over. Um, I remember one morning, Coach, this is so distinct, this memory. We, it was in summer training. We had 6 a.m. workouts. I was a senior. Uh, I had applied for a medical red shirt from the NCAA, got denied. Um, so I, my, this is my last go round. My knee was not responding to rehab. It was getting puffier and swelling. And, and man, I just, I was, I was disconnected from the team because the team was working out. I would be in the training room. I'm laying on this table in the training room. I'm looking up at this window. Nobody's in there I'm by myself. And I'm like, you know what, man, I'm just, I can't take it. I'm quitting. And so I started going through the, in my mind and in my heart, I started, you know, realizing like, I'm, I think I'm going to hang this thing up and I'm going to quit. I was like, I only got one more season left. I'm not going to play. My knee's worse. I'm done. And I'll never forget, nobody, I hadn't read any books or any podcasts or anything at this point. I was just sitting there thinking. And this question came to me. And it was simple. It was like this. It was like, well, okay, you can quit. The question was this, came to my mind. Do you think you'll ever face things harder than this in life? I go, wait a minute, I didn't think about that. I go, yeah, I'm for sure going to face hard things worse than this. And I, I, I promise you, it wasn't a voice, it was more of a thought like, well, if you quit now when it's this hard, you'll quit a lot easier when it gets harder. And I was like, oh, I can't quit. I was like, so I took away from that, you know, winning is a habit, so is quitting. And there's a time to walk away from stuff, but there's a time. Uh, I always like to say, if you're going to quit something, don't quit because of a bad experience or because of adversity. Wait till you're in a better season of life. Then, okay, let's evaluate now. If it's, if it's, it's the right time to do this, let's walk away. So that was one. And then my second story was um, when, I was, when I was coaching at Colorado, I, I, was, I was making coach. I was broker than the Ten Commandments. I mean, I, I was, I mean, I was not, I, my rent was, was only like $400 a month at the time. It was cheap, but I couldn't afford that coach. I couldn't afford a, a skillet. I was sleeping on the floor, uh, driving an old Bronco too, back and forth. The heater was out. I drive to work with my head out the window, freezing in the morning. And I was like, and I was getting in my, in my, in my work, it just wasn't going well. You know, I just, my boss was on me. You, I felt like he was picking on me, being unfair. I wasn't getting along with some of the staff. I was just in a bad storm, a bad season. And so I went and started looking for different jobs. And I applied to all kinds of different jobs kind of when I was off up in Denver and just coach. I could not find or get anything. And it was the best thing for me because you know what it did? It really forced me to grow up. And it really forced me to take responsibility for my really bad attitude. And part of, you know what part of my problem was, Coach, was that I wasn't standing up for myself. And if you're going to be a good coach, I'm going to tell you this right now, you've got to learn to advocate for yourself or people will run you over. And I was a guy, you know, going back, uh, I was a guy that just would, I grew up in a family that was dysfunctional. And I, the only way I knew how to cope with dysfunction was just either run from it or just be quiet. And so I just got quiet. And so I carried some of those coping skills into my coaching career. 
And so I had to learn that if you're going to be a good coach, you got to stand up in a, in a professional manner. You got to set boundaries and you got to tell people when they're not right. And you got to do it in the right context and right tone. And so I learned, I started learning to advocate for myself at a young age and it was the best thing for me instead of running from it. So I always say you can, there's two things you can do to your, your hard times or mistakes. You can learn from them or you can run from them. And learning from them requires you to work through that hard, difficult season and let it teach you lessons you can't buy at any school. So I hope everybody listening right now is really taking in those last two <laughs> stories because those both uh, are just beautiful stories of understanding the process. Um, because I think that uh, what, I, what I go towards now a, a lot of is thinking about our generation, like you're talking about different generations, um, having different, you know, um, adversities, but also different advantages. And I feel like the right now, you know, my, the generation, mine, I'm kind of in the millennials and all that, you know, whatever, Gen X, and yeah. I don't know all the generations now, but yeah. thinking about the getting things right away, you know, if you had a dinner party 20 years ago, and you guys had an argument or like a thought of who, uh, who this person was in history, you could, you had to go get an encyclopedia or wait till the library opened. But now exactly. we just pull out a phone and we can look up anything we want right from yeah. our phone. And just thinking about how it's, it's conditioned the generations now to expect things faster, which is no, no choice by them at all. It's just what our current history is. That's what we're going through. And to think about the process in that I go to being able to be patient, being able to sit and analyze to think. It took me a long time to get there. And I'm still learning how to do that every single day. Um, so I love the story about being uh, in the Bronco and not having the money. And then also, uh, you know, understanding that that all happened for you to grow and to, like you said, take ownership of your attitude. Um, and you having to do that forced you into a better path. And it was that opportunity, that seed, right? That you talked about earlier. Yeah. And it goes back to what you, we said earlier. If you want to, if you want to relate to people, you got to, you got to struggle at some point. People relate, people connect and relate to more your failures, flops, and fumbles more than they do your successes. We applaud success, but we relate and connect to weakness, uh, failure, struggles, you know, just being human, you know, and I think that's the part that we forget that at the end of the day, you're coaching athletes, but they're still human. You know, everybody's battling something. And the more you can relate to that, the more you can connect with their heart. And, right, it's like one of my favorite quotes by John Maxwell goes, you know, all the best leaders always, they always touch your heart before they ask for a hand. And I think that's a big piece of it. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Have you heard the, you know, the, the saying, you have to fail, you have to fail to succeed. I'm sure you've heard many forms of that. Um, I, I didn't like that for a long time because it was just a saying and no one actually explained what that meant to them. So yeah. I would love for you to tell me your version of what does it mean that you need to fail to succeed? Yeah, I think more than anything, I think failure, I think before you get into that, I think your number one bedrock principle with failure is, and this is really hard, what I'm going to say to do, you cannot personalize failure. And if you personalize it, which I've had <laughs> a habit of doing, you take, it, uh, you take it way more serious than you should, 
you start to own failure and it, if you're not careful, it can kind of influence kind of your identity. And so I think with failure, when you view failure in the context of learning, and again, John Maxwell's book he wrote years ago is called Failing Forward. If you've never read it, incredible read. If you view failure in the, in the light of like, man, this, what are the lessons I can learn from this? Um, what are the, what did I learn about myself in this? You know, what, it, what are, uh, what are some, okay, so if that didn't work, what's going to work? And so I think when you, you look at failure as something that, that reveals kind of your weaknesses or it even teaches it. Sometimes I think failure to me personally teaches you what you don't like or maybe something you're not gifted in. Because it's kind of like, there's this myth today out there that says you can really do whatever you want. That's not true. You can, I mean, if you're, I mean, I, 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 would, I tried singing when I was younger, coach. I was terrible. <laughs> you know, I thought I could sing until I played it on a recorder and played it back. And I was like, I burned the tape, you know? So we can't do whatever we want. I mean, you, in a sense, you can, you can try whatever you want, but it doesn't mean you're going to be, people aren't going to pay you good money for that. Right. And right. so I think failure uh, teaches you a lot about yourself. You know, it, what, what, what level of adversity it takes to, to stop you in your tracks, right? Um, there's a book uh, years ago, again, I love to read books, but this one's called uh, Adversity Quotient. And it's really a book about, he talks about there's three, pe three kinds of people in life, right? There's, there's quitters, and quit the quitters in life are the ones, the dialects that just kind of, they just bowed out and just, they just stopped working, right? They just gave up. And then there's campers. Campers are harder to, to figure out because they're really just quitters in disguise. They're not getting better. They're not getting worse. They're just camped out. But then there's climbers. And the climber is interesting because you can take a climber and put them in a pit and they'll climb out of it every time. But you can take a, you can take a quitter, put them on a the mountain. They'll come down to the pit every time. And so, again, I like that. quitters, campers, and climbers. And it's not about your IQ. It's about your AQ, your adversity quotient. Like how much adversity can you endure? How much failure can you kind of work through? and not give up, keep persisting, right? Keep moving forward and learning from that and actually becoming better uh, because, of, because of those lessons you've learned. And again, failure can be, it can be a brutal teacher. Now, I think failure, the other, you, we talk about failure, not personalizing it, but I also think failure, when you're, when you're trying to learn from failure, I, I think it's foolish to jump off something so big that um, the failure could be so catastrophic, you may not be able to come back from it. So I think some of our learning experiences need to be calculated and intentional. So you don't want to, you don't want to just throw all the, all the dice on there, so to speak. Uh, I could listen, I could listen to you talk and give analogies all day. It's, yeah. it's, it's so fun to explore this with you. I, I really, I love it. Um, oh, I'd be, yeah. I'd be, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the soft tissue work. Cause that was one thing that I definitely wanted to talk to you about as much as I, I want to get that mindset and the failures. Uh, I also want to make sure people get to hear a little bit about uh, your expertise in the recovery world and uh, what you do. I remember we were, we were at the, uh, the conference in Indianapolis or in uh, Indiana University, and you talked about recovery and soft tissue work. It just changed my whole perspective on um, how I treated my clients and when I was working with athletes and the things that I, that I teach and that I use for myself. So um, I want to shift a little bit and just talk about 
your, your approach to recovery and why it's so important for people to focus on recovery just as much as the workouts. Yeah, no, it's a, it's definitely a passion of mine. And I think, you know, if I could sum it up in like one little phrase, I think at the end of the day, um, I think people, people just want to feel better, whether that's an athlete or somebody works a desk job all day, or maybe they work in a factory and they, they're doing a lot of overuse with their hands or different motions. Uh, you, people, they're going to come see us because they physically want to move better, but they also physically want to feel really good about their bodies. And uh, when, when people feel better, they perform better. You have better relationships. You perform better on the field. Um, your, your, your emotions, your mental health is better. So I think for me, is, is a, it's a holistic approach, as I've learned, with soft tissue stuff and, and all that kind of thing. And again, my, I kind of got into it because I had an injury in my lower back that went back um, from Georgia. My back wasn't hurting in Georgia, but it started bothering me real bad when I started coaching because I was lifting and training real hard. And I couldn't figure out why it was started out as a spasm and it got worse and then got to where I couldn't even lift really at all. And I started going to see all these people that could not tell me what was wrong. And I was like, dude, I'm a strength coach. I'm, maybe I'm not the smartest guy on the planet, but this was healthy. Now it's broke. Something caused it. And so I went on this journey to try to figure it out again, going back to failure, right? And what happened? What I did something wrong. And sure enough, through just years of research, and then I started taking neuromuscular therapy classes on the side as a strength coach. I went to a class in Houston one night. It was a three-day course. I'd never seen anything like this, John. It was the, the class was called Pain Mechanisms of the Lower Back. So I was like, all right. Got in there. The, I mean, it was like somebody just took and just peeled blinders off my eyes. And, and finally, like my world was changed on how I addressed the body. And so I started seeing that there was different types of exercises, injuries, the way the muscular system worked with relations to, to the skeletal system that could influence angles, joints, tensions, tor torsion. Um, and I started realizing like, man, not only do the way you train impacts how your body is aligned, but also if you don't use different modalities over time, those gaps, I call it performance gaps can get bigger and then injuries, compensations, asymmetries, um, imbalances, all that kind of stuff can start to add up. And then something, you end up having like a big injury and like, man, where did this come from? And you don't, you don't understand it. So. That's kind of what got me into it. What are some of the biggest uh, like misconceptions or the, the pet peeves of soft tissue and recovery work that you've uh, come across in your, in your, uh, in your uh, experience? Uh, I think, I mean, I think it depends on which modality or system that you're, you're using. Um, Let's talk soft tissue, like um, rolling out. Just rolling. Yeah. I mean, rolling out, I think, you know, my, my experience is, you know, I know there's been a lot of articles written on it that some people think it's just a waste of time. And um, it was big. It was big when it first came out because everybody, let's, you know, let's, let's address tissue, get blood flow. Let's lengthen it. Let's mobilize it and activate it, kind of a system like that. It works well. So I think with, 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 a, with a foam roller, 
from my background in history with soft tissue, foam rolling is more like just like a like a blood primer. You get blood flow in there. I don't think that it, I really don't think it's going to lengthen or change the, the form of fascia or tissue because that stuff is so strong and it's taken years to get where it's at. Rolling it with a little pad or a whole heart is not going to, it may influence it for that moment. Um, but long time, long history, it's not going to, it's not going to have that big of an impact. So I think it's for a modality to warm up foam roller is great. And I think that's kind of where it fits in there. Um, again, that's just my professional opinion of studying and just my experience with it. I do think it has a place in it, but again, just, you got to place it in the right priority. So. Yeah. Cause I, I know people always talk about foam rolling and it's like breaking down tissue or, you know, changing the extensibility of the tissue and it's not true at all. That's, you know, and that's something we, when we talked and, uh, you showed us the stuff, the, your modalities, of uh, just seeing how simple you, you can make it and how that can change the integrity of your muscle. If you go through that systematic approach, just a little bit of soft tissue, a little bit of blood flow, a little stretch, a little mobility mm -hmm. and activation, and you feel great, but it has to be repeated. So I, it, like you said, it takes a long time for that tissue to get there and it takes yeah. a long time for it to change. And it has to be repeated over and over and over. Yeah. And I'll say this too, John, about soft tissue. Everybody's different. Their body responds differently to different therapies, modalities. And just like you periodize your workouts and your training plans for different people, you got to do the same thing for your soft tissue, you know, and you just got to, you kind of got to experiment a little bit at first and study and research and try some things and figure out what your body likes, figure out what your clients like. And you periodize and you adapt and mold each kind of session depending on what they need. So, absolutely. Um, and uh, I I wanted to ask you about your favorite kind of uh, recovery protocols. Do you like? I know, like you said, everyone's different though. But riding a bike, going for a walk, going for a swim, like little things like that. What are some of your favorites to do? Well, I'll say this first. Um, if you're going to get into that stuff, you need to come up with some sort of simple assessment first. Just like your car, if something's not running right, you take it in, they're going to do some tests on it, figure out what's the culprit, where's the main issue. All right, let's go and address that first. And then you build out from there. And the way I heard one coach say it one time was like, think about your body like a city, right? It's got different towers, different buildings, some are tall, some are short, some are wide. Your body's same, it's built, it was built in a certain order, right? And the way it works is your body's just like that. If um, deal, like dealing with injury, whether it's acute or chronic. So if a city collapses, usually that you can go back and if you study it, it was that first, that second, that third, that fourth, talking about buildings or structure, right? Where we normally go as coaches, well, where does it, where's the pain? And here's the problem with that. That's not, the, that's not what caused it. That's where it's showing up. It's, it's here in my shoulder in the front interior, but there's four or five other things we need to go backwards on first and let's work that puzzle. And then this will start to get better and completely go away. And so I think assessing, what I mean by that is watch them walk, just look at their gait. Make them walk back and forth, squat, lunge, reach overhead, do some testing, muscle testing with the shoulders, the hips, 
look at the look at the level of the pelvis in the front asis psis the the, the what's the angle on the, the lumbar hip or the lumbar spine with the hip what about the ankles are they lined up standing and lying down shoulders are they you got up across a little bit is one forward and down one is up is there a little bit of rotational scoliosis? I mean, you start looking for some common patterns with the body because it will tell you the story of where what's going on. The muscles will give you, they'll give you a message. And I use my thumbs a lot because you've got 80% more receptor sites in your thumbs than you do your, your forefingers. I did not know so that. I will usually assess people when I'll look away and use my thumbs because I want to feel tonus. Tonus is going to tell me how tight, if something's, uh, if something's inhibited, if something's overactive, something's weak or rotated, my thumbs will kind of tell me. So I think having some assessments, some key points, depending on, you know, if somebody says my hip's hurting or my ankle's hurting, just doing some walking, some uh, standing, lying, moving assessments, make some notes, maybe do, do some muscle testing with them, come back, make some notes, and then from there kind of build out. And what, the way I like to do it, this is just me, but I've got a, like a toolbox. I've got certain things I'll use that I know I'm really good with. And so what I've learned over the years, again, going back to failure again, you try to get outside of your tools that you're competent in, you're gonna mess them up bad. I've done it. You will mess them up royally. And so I've learned that I'm really good with chronic stuff. Um, if something is acute and needs some sort of diagnosis, that is my big rule. I'm not diagnosing anybody. That's not my competence. I'm not certified to do that. And I really have a, if I mess up with the diagnosis, number one, there's a liability there legally. But number two, I may end their career. And so that's just not an area I refuse. You go back to your core values of leading as a coach. That's something I had to figure out. Like my ego had to be checked. I can't figure everything out. Now, I will say this. I'll do some assessments. I'll go, hey, I think it could be this but here's who you need to go see and get, let's get confirmation. And a lot of times I'm right, but I've been wrong before too. So it's, it's, so you just gotta know that. So I use different tools and assessments with it. And that goes back to knowing your strengths, knowing your weaknesses, knowing when it's just not your ballpark and being able to hand that off to somebody else. It's, that's great. Uh, I love that. Uh, I, one last thing, I just want you to talk about uh, you as a speaker, and then I want you to tell people where they can reach you. But I want, first I want to talk about um, just, as a speaker, uh, when you go out and talk to different people, you're, you see countless faces, personalities, energies. How do you make connections with the people that you're talking to? I think the hardest thing for any presenter is that when you get there, you're, you're not there for yourself. You're there to help them. And so most speakers, when you're, you're starting out, you're, you're, you're so worried about how you're going to come off. And then, you, then what you end up doing is you make it about you. And so you, it's, a, it's a perspective and it's an objective. When I go into speak with somebody, my first thing I need to do is I need to connect with that audience and let them know that I'm there for them and that I'm, gonna, I'm here to help you guys today. They want you to succeed. They're not going to tell you that, but people are listening. They're, they're, they're cheering for you. But if you get up there and make it about you and it's more – your speech is more in your head versus out in the seats in the audience, you're going to really struggle. So how do you connect with your audience? I think there's a couple things. Um, I think you've got to tell stories. I think that's, 
that's the number. People can really relate to stories emotionally, mentally, and on, I think on a spiritual level, it really impacts them. So, because it paints a picture in your, it, it's, it's, a, it's a picture in your head. So stories, I think number two is you've got to ask questions and let them kind of interact with you. It's so a second level. A third level is having them interact with each other. And so when you're going to speak, those are your three levels. Figure out how to make it about them, right? So connect with the audience. Number two, have the audience um, get engaged with you doing something. And number three, have them interact with each other. And then from there, you kind of mix in kind of whatever your topic is and present in a way that's got some humor, it's got some suspense, it's got some aha moments, and just be authentic, be you, and, and usually it will go, you know, again, I've done it for years, I love speaking and, and interacting with people, and it's, I say it like this too, going back to the, that first question about speaking is, you want to try to make it more about it's not a monologue as much as it try to create a dialogue with the audience. If I can have a really good conversation with one-on-one -on -one with you, then I can do it with a thousand people. It's just an art to it. And it's just, it's the same. It's, it's a, it's a perspective shift in your head and you can't let the fear of like, Oh my God, that's a thousand people. No, it's still an audience. You're still out there. You're on a couch or sofa talking to a thousand of your best friends. And so there's some techniques and tools you can learn as you do that. So it just takes time. I love that. The great tips that you painted a great picture there. And uh, I know we're learning from years of experience and I really appreciate you taking the time. I want people to be able to reach out to you and Hey, if they want you to come talk, how can they get a hold of you? And then also if people just want to ask you some questions, how can, how can they get a hold of Donnie Mabe? No, I appreciate the love coach. Um, would love to come speak. If somebody has got a, a spot you feel would be perfect or appropriate, just reach out over Instagram probably. Um, it's just Donnie Mabe, uh, D-O-N-N-I-E, M like mom, A-I-B. Just shoot me a direct message or uh, over Twitter, uh, at Coach Donnie. And uh, you can hit me over Twitter. Or um, if you want to email me my uh, work address, is, it's long. It's Donnie, D-O-N-N-I-E, dot Mabe, M like mom, A-I-B like boy, at athletics dot u texas dot edu and that's my uh, texas email um, that most people reach out so again uh, love to speak love to, to impact and change lives and serve people so let me know i will definitely put all of that in the show notes and make sure um that i get everyone your information and uh, donnie i really appreciate you taking this time it's been uh just a just a fun conversation and uh, i can't wait to put this one out no it's it's uh the pleasure and honor is mine, Coach John. You are somebody I definitely admire and respect the work you're doing and the way you run your business. Uh, you are first class. And anybody uh, listening, if you've not met John, you got to reach out to him too. Just a phenomenal, authentic leader in our, uh, in our professional field. And you got big things coming. I know you do. Just don't forget the little people, John, when you get there. So I appreciate you too, Coach. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I love those words. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Donnie. You're welcome. That does it for this episode of the Coach You Podcast. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. And if you found that enjoyable, please be sure to subscribe and share with any friends or family. And you can find this podcast anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Coach You. Remember to go out there on the daily basis, fail, learn, and evolve. Yeah.